If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and everything you need is all in one place, and here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. A Kentucky legend, the Lion of Whitehall. Welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast, where we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. History is full of curious stories you will never discover in any textbook. We uncover fun facts about historical people, interesting places, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History of the South. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. And Harold, tonight we're in your library. I'm looking at a book, Memoirs, Writing, Speeches of Cassius Clay, Volume 1. And I understand you took a trip to his house in Madison County today. What made you pick uh, Cassius Clay to be our topic tonight? Well, of all the people um, in Kentucky um, that I have read about over the years, he's probably one of the most fascinating people uh, for many different reasons that, uh, that I've ever studied. Um, he was um, uh, a man probably way before his time in thinking, um, especially when it came to the slavery issue. Um, he was a, a visionary in a lot of ways. Um, I think he was, I, I wrote down a few traits that he had that I, I thought was important to, to well, our story. Before you cover that, he was an emancipationist. What's the difference between an emancipationist and an abolitionist? Well, um, history will pretty much, when you mention his name, will say he was an abolitionist. Um, an abolitionist believed in abolishing of slavery immediately. Um, he was an emancipationist, which meant he, would, he wanted a gradual um, doing away with slavery. So he had a plan. He thought that, that um, slavery hurt the economy as well as it being a, an unjust and uh, immoral practice. He thought it hurt the economy. And he thought that uh, that uh, labor and and our economic base uh, was hurt because of slavery. That very few benefited from it, and which if you paid that labor, then the money would be in the system and help build an economy. And he was I'm not an economist, but it, he was probably right. So he, you know, that those terms I guess get intermingled, and sometimes it's confusing right. on what somebody really was or how they felt about uh, slavery. Um, it seems like he was uh, a very sharp guy. I mean, he, yes, he, yes. I know he was educated in Danville at Center College, uh, Transy University, and then Yale. Right. Uh huh. Well, I wrote down some traits, like I said, that I thought that he was uh, the that first come to mind when we talk about Cassius Clay. And I think the first thing that he was a very brave man. I mean, uh, Brian, he was he didn't know fear. 
Well, he was quite the character too, right? Well, he, he was a character, but I mean, he to to deal with the the uh, unpopular views that he had right in the middle of the a slave holding area. Um, in in Kentucky. In Kentucky, which was in between the north and the south. It, yeah, pretty much a border state, but the more affluent areas in Kentucky, uh, the the large land. Uh, plantations and those things, uh, slavery was, uh, you know, alive and well, and uh, probably the majority of people uh, that had slaves and all were bitterly against him. Uh, his political opponents hated him. Uh, he had he's fought in duels, and we'll talk about those things later. But uh, as a display of his courage, you know, he was a hero in the Mexican War. He, he stood up uh, tall in the Civil War when it started. And even his own family around him, his in-laws hated him, and he, he had to deal with all that most of his life. You know, his father was a slave owner. He owned, I think, on record, 100 slaves. What caused him to develop the passion he had to be anti-slavery? Well, I think, um, I think that he witnessed some things, and there's a story that we'll go into detail about later, but... There was a slave, Mary, that uh, helped him do his gardening when he was a young boy, and he always had an interest in gardening and agriculture, and uh, he saw her uh, uh, taken away, and he also saw her uh, go through a, a horrific experience with, a, with another plantation uh, uh, foreman there of, the, of another plantation. So um, he, he had witnessed things that bothered him, and then when he went to Yale University, he was uh, educated under William Lloyd Garrison, which we know was a pretty strong anti-slavery um, person. And uh, I think those things really got him thinking and got him motivated to do some of the things he later did. Uh, another trait he had, I thought, was he was he was very strong physically and emotionally. Uh, he was very hard-headed, uh, very high-minded. Uh, he had, he had a lot of confidence. Uh, was he a very big man? He was a big man. He was six foot three, weighed over 200 pounds. And back then, that was a big man, trust me. Uh, he was very strong, very athletic uh, in his younger years. Uh, didn't, did not back down from a fight at all. I mean, he just wouldn't. He, he didn't, it didn't bother him. But strangely enough, it, it really bothered him as he got into adulthood. It really bothered him when people talked about his fighting prowess he really didn't want to be known as a fighter but he was a like i said he's a very complex man uh you know headstrong on his political views and then we talked about he uh he loved women i mean he he was an admirer of of women and it started when he was a child and it's almost humorous you know he'll start telling a story in his memoirs and he'll he'll reflect back on a, a young girl in childhood or a young woman in uh Mexico when he was in the Mexican war or something. He always brings a female in the picture somewhere or another, you know, and he, 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 he was really, uh, quite a woman, uh, ladies man. I think, I think he had that on his mind a whole lot and he was very well educated, you know, for his time. Uh, now his father was the, one of the wealthiest men in Kentucky when he died, uh, probably the largest landowner. So Cassius was, uh, was, uh, born into privilege, so to speak. And then you think about how in the world did he want to give up that privilege and, you know, live a, a life of, of turmoil because it was a cause, I think, bigger than himself. 
you know. And his family, or I guess his father, was one of the earliest settlers in Kentucky. Right. Uh huh. Yeah, his father was a green clay. Um, he was born in uh, Powhatan County, Virginia, uh, of Welsh ancestry. He married Sally Lewis in Virginia. And his his father's whole education, you know, didn't wasn't a lot, but he had about nine months of schooling in mathematics, which got him um, the ability, I guess, to survey. Uh, it's hard for us to comprehend today that a guy could only go to school for nine months and be a, a land surveyor, but that's exactly what he did. There was a neat story about him coming to Kentucky uh, in pioneer times, and he was riding a mule and dressed in buckskins, and this writer that I read this story about seemed to think that it was he maybe he was kind of doing a little acting here but um he was he was riding around looking for a surveying party and and he found them and uh so they asked him if he knew mathematics and <laughs> he said well I know George Maddox. <laughs> so, Close enough. I don't know who George Maddox was or what he had to do with it, but anyway, that was his answer. So they they kind of thought of him as being a you know a little brick shower of a load or not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So anyway, they hired him to clean their cabin and cook. <laughs> so um, they were out surveying every day, and after several days of them going out surveying, bringing in their plats, and back then you. You'd survey, you'd bring in the plat, you'd do the paperwork, you'd take the courthouse and register it, and guess what? You own the land. Well, uh, I guess he was a little smarter than they thought he was, so they brought in several of their plats, and so he just took the plats and got on his mule and rode back and registered them in his name. So, <laughs> and he ended up with how many acres? Oh, I don't know, but it was a bunch, I guarantee you. <laughs> Scoundrel. Yeah, he was a bit of a – his dad was a bit of a character. Now, I, there's uh, – there's 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 a lot of things about his dad that people question. Uh, in 1792, he was chosen as the official deputy surveyor in Kentucky. Now this is no no uh, no light deal. Um, at that time, there were so few surveyors, and the way the system worked, some of the land, not all of it, but some of the land he surveyed, he got half of what he surveyed. So you might say he was, uh, you know, he was absolutely cleaning up. And uh, he amassed, uh, about the time of his death, something like 40,000 acres of land. Wow. And he even had land in Ohio. He did not only in just in the state of Kentucky, but he had land in other places. Um, he was a very enterprising guy. His Cassius' father was. Uh, he raised tobacco. Uh, he built uh, grist mills. He raised rye and wheat. Uh, he had his own distilleries. Believe it or not, he even had his own resort. A resort, yes. Where was it at? I don't know. I don't know where the resort was. I haven't done any research to find it, but uh, he didn't like tobacco raising as much because it depleted the soil. It took so much out of the soil, so he tried to get away from that. He spent a lot of time in court, and in the mid-1790s, he w he became the magistrate of the of the court in uh, of uh, Madison County, and that was a very beneficial position to him because he had so much influence there. And uh, he uh, he was owed some money from an estate uh, from a, a man named William Ranald, R-E-N-O-L-D. And he died before he could pay his debts to Clay. So Clay sued the estate and its heirs, and the, the estate, the heirs happened to be two infant females. But <laughs> he kept on with the case, regardless, and... Uh, 
I guess it was a questionable judgment, but anyway, he, he got the, the money owed him. But So Green Clay, his father was a slave owner. How many slaves did he actually own, and what was the fate of the slaves? Well, at the time of his death, uh, he had listed 105 slaves that he owned. Um, 84 were given to members of the family. Uh, 12 slaves were emancipated, and 8 were sold. Now, the slaves that Cassius... Uh, quote, inherited was in a trust. And the problem with that is... And how, many, how many was that, you know? I don't know. Okay. How many, all the children and, you know, got slaves and his wife got a slave, but I, I'm not sure how many he, he got. Uh, I'll have to go back and look, but he couldn't sell them. Um, and, and that's the problem with the trust was he was kind of stuck with them. Uh, they were not allowed to be sold. They, they couldn't get a clear title to them because they were tied up in this trust. His father had no idea of Cassius's future uh, emancipationist ideas. He, his he, ambitions. He, of, had, of he, had, he, he died before that was really um, cultivated and, and came to fruition, so he really didn't have any knowledge that Cassius was going to be like that, probably when he died. So how old was uh, Cassius when his father died? Cassius was 17 years old, and uh, for his part of the inheritance, he inherited 2,200 acres of the home place, the uh, the old house was called Claremont, and uh, he he inherited that and the land and slaves. So as a young man, he was already a wealthy young man. Was his father very involved in his life, or what kind of relationship did they have? Brian, that's a good question, because it seemed to be, from reading uh, the things that I've read about him, his father was gone all the time. He was, you know, if you can imagine having 40,000 acres of land, some of it in Ohio, um, having all these businesses and everything, I can't imagine how he could have been around a lot because he was so busy. He was such a busy guy. Um, he did give uh, Cassius some advice, and <laughs> I thought it was really an uh, interesting part of the story. Cassius said he told him to never tell anybody your business and said if you want to know the truth, inquire of fools or children <laughs> <laughs> and never travel the same road that you came on, always return a different way. Uh, never say anything about anybody you wouldn't want proclaimed on the courthouse square. <laughs> Keep out of the hands of doctors and sheriffs. <laughs> and he said, my property is worth more on the farm and in the storeroom than in the pockets of spendthrifts. So he, some of those things he remembered all of his life, and he, he uh, used them uh, in his in his dealings with people, well, I think we could add one to the uh, you know children and fools tell the truth. The third one would be yoga pants. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those three things always tell the truth. So. Yeah. Well, and his mother um, seemed to be probably more in his life um, than anyone. Um, and he, his mother was a very uh, very good woman. Evidently, she had a, a lot on her shoulders raising all these children and having to deal with. Uh, plantations and overseers and all kinds of things in the absence of Green being gone all the time. His dad died in uh, uh, of skin cancer, uh, evidently being exposed to the sun so much in 1828. So um, she was widowed early. She was uh, about 20 years younger than him. So, uh, and then what's interesting is she remarried within a year after um, Green's death, and she married her sister who had deceased husband 
uh, and his name was Dudley. <laughs> so, so. so, okay, so it was by marriage, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, prior to his father's passing, uh, his mother had encouraged him to uh, to get as good an education as he could, and his dad wanted him to as well, I'm sure. Um, he had attended schools, and he at age 13, he had been at St. Joseph's uh, School in Bardstown, Kentucky, and uh, he he learned the love of sports there. I think he, he his physical prowess, he became aware of the fact that he was bigger and stronger than most of the boys in his class. Uh, he studied at Center College in Danville in Transylvania in Lexington, which, by the way, Transylvania actually started in Danville, but uh, moved it quickly to Lexington. And there was a little incident uh, while he was at Transy uh, in the main building um, in 1829 on a Saturday night. Um, Cassius fell asleep, and he said that um, his uh, his uh, white sl- I mean, excuse me, his slave uh, actually knocked over a candle and burnt the building down. <laughs> he never admitted that until he was in his 80s. <laughs> that that actually so he happened. blamed it on, on his servant. Yeah, That's... he blamed it on his servant, uh, and which, like I said, was tied to him because of the, the trust and the will. That, But he, he burned the building down in uh, in Lexington in 18 and 29. Um, of course, Yale was, uh, like I said, was his major influence in his education. Um, William Lloyd Garrison and his anti-slavery views is what propelled Cassius into the um, world of anti-slavery uh, and publishing the True American newspaper in Lexington. So he was 17 when his father passed away and inherited yes. the state? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for him? How did he handle that? Well, I don't, I don't think he was capable of handling it. Like His mother had the right to live there until she remarried or till he married. It was kind of an odd thing, and um, within a year, she had remarried and moved to Frankfurt. So uh, he had, at 18 years old, he was responsible for 2,200 acres, a big house, and a lot of responsibility. I couldn't imagine the pressure right. of just running the day-to-day activities of the, pl- you know, the plantation. Well, Brian, you know, he was used to pressure because at 12 years old, his father sent him to Cincinnati to pay... Uh, uh, on, on some property, some taxes or something on some property he owned in Ohio uh, on a business errand at 12 years old by himself. Wow. So he uh, he was used to responsibility. I guess on the, in early Kentucky you had to grow up quick, and uh, he was, like I said, a, a very probably very mature for his age, and he was fearless. I mean, that's this one characteristic of Cassius Clay, if you don't know anything else about him. I don't think the man was afraid of anything. And well, well, tell me some of the stories about how how he developed that reputation of being a fearless. What? Well, um, when he was uh, engaged to his uh, wife, um, his mother-in-law, uh, unfortunately, just truthfully hated him. <laughs> <laughs> Typical mother-in-law. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's just uh, sad that, you know, she just never, I don't know what the reasons were, we don't know, but... Uh, she kind of caused a little trouble uh, in the marriage. There was a, a gentleman from Louisville, Kentucky, a, a young doctor that uh, had been courting um, her daughter, uh, kind of, or wanting to, and she she wanted uh, her to go with him because um, Jane Warfield's father was Elisha Warfield, and he was a he was a doctor, so it was kind of in the family. Well, this young doctor from Louisville uh, had made some disparaging remarks about Cassius. So Cassius uh, 
cornered him one day and, and beat the tar out of him. And uh, this didn't uh, didn't set well. The, the, the guy ch uh, challenged him to a duel, which uh, Cassius was more than ready to accept. So nothing kind of came of it. Every time they went to duel, they drew a crowd, and that was not good because they didn't want to have to deal with crowds. So... Uh, right before the wedding, Cassius takes off to Louisville to this where this guy lives. And he said he lived actually in a hotel. Now, whether he owned this hotel or what, I don't know. But when he came into the hotel, there was Cassius standing there glaring at him, waiting on him. Well, the, the young man went upstairs, and Cassius waited and waited, and uh, he never came down. And uh, so after a period of time, somebody went to his room to see what was what was the problem, and they found him dead. He'd slashed his wrist. So he preferred to slash his wrist than, <laughs> than to deal with Cassius Clay, yeah. And Clay always blamed that on his mother-in-law for instigating that. There's probably a lot more to this story than I have time to tell, but it was just a, it was a very sad thing, really. I mean, it, that uh, he had no idea that the guy was contemplating suicide over having to deal with, with him. Well, I know you said that um, while he was at Yale... I guess he, he developed his passion for the anti-slavery. Let's talk a little bit about that. Tell me well, about the influence and, and what, what, how did he start out early in his career um, speaking out against slavery? Well, one of the stories he told was that uh, as a young boy, he'd always had an interest in gardening, and there was a slave named Mary that was, you know, assisted him in his garden work. Uh, a few years later, Mary was sent to another plantation, uh, not sold, but just, I guess, loaned out, rented out. I don't know the, the financial arrangement. But anyway, she was to cook for th some white hands and an overseer there by the name of John Payne. And Payne abused Mary verbally right off the bat, and, and uh, which Mary objected to, and which it angered then the whole Payne family. And... Uh, I guess they didn't think she even had the right to defend herself or, or take up for herself. But anyway, they didn't like her, so they plotted against her and uh, sent her upstairs of this cabin to shell corn. Well, she came, she, she was very suspicious of this because it didn't seem um, uh, comfortable to her to be doing that, and she thought she was possibly being set up. So on her way up the steps, she grabbed a butcher knife and hid it under her apron. And when Payne come up, uh, sure enough, he was... Uh, he was uh, attacked her basically, um, and uh, she stabbed him, and uh, she killed him, and then she fled back to the uh, clay plantation there at Claremont. And in uh, in 1820, that uh, she was put on trial, and uh, a year and a half to complete this trial. Uh, some of the clays testified on her behalf. I know uh, uh, Cassius's mother testified on her behalf. And she was found guilty anyway, but uh, I guess maybe because of their political pull, I don't know, but Governor John Adair pardoned her in 1821. And there's a whole story that we don't have time to get into. Uh, she was of mixed race, and there are some people that believe that she was actually a, a daughter of Green Clay or what to be a half-sister half of, sister of Cassius Clay. Yeah. Okay, so do you think Mary had something with him developing his anti-slavery views yeah and and i remember i think uh, i believe later brutus uh, was the one that inherited mary in the in the will and this is a brother a brother yes okay. uh -huh. and and i think that uh 
I don't know what the circumstances were, but he watched her as she was being carried away to be sold. And it really upset him. And, uh, which was common, I guess. Uh, this, this slavery thing, um, a lot of these slaves were, had become attached to the people they were working for. And, and, uh, it was a cruel, cruel thing and their families broken up. Um, it, it, it was heartbreaking to read these stories and, and, uh, so it went both ways. I mean, it, it affected white people and the, obviously the, the slaves themselves and uh, such a terrible system of labor. I can't imagine a worse, you know, really, if you get to thinking about it. It had to be, you know, I couldn't imagine some of the things uh, they had to endure and overcome. All right, so it looks like we're about out of time for this podcast. So we'll actually, let's do a part two. Uh, yeah, let's, we'll, we'll continue we'll, and do another we'll, podcast and finish this out. We'll do, we'll do some more fighting and going to war and having a good time. That's right, and I can't wait. So thank you for being part of Uncommon History of the South podcast. If you'd like to help support our podcast, please share our podcast with your friends. Leave a five-star review and comment. This will help others find our podcast. And make sure you friend us on Facebook. 